If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of March 13, 2022. The podcast that can't believe the things you can do with a spirograph. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's photosensitize the news of the bogus. We'll start off with a couple of major cybersecurity fails, starting with Samsung, who saw a lot of their source code leaked to the public. Hackers with the Lapsus Group have leaked almost 200 gigabytes of source code, including biometric algorithms. Many of the applets run in Samsung's Trust Zone environment, which is used for sensitive operations such as unlocking phones and protecting the bootloader. The news media immediately leapt on the fear-mongering angle of this with their usual spiel that it's open season for threat actors to find and exploit vulnerabilities. Of course, since the data was definitely breachable, it's not certain that Lapsus were the first ones to get it. The other point is that it's also the case that security researchers the world over can pour through the code and find vulns that they can then report to Samsung, who can then issue patches to protect users. In fact, The whole idea of having to keep code secret to prevent hacking is just another example of security through obscurity. According to a Samsung spokesperson, there was also some internal company data in the breach, but no personal data of customers or employees. Quote, According to our initial analysis, the breach involves some source code relating to the operation of Galaxy devices, but does not include the personal information of our computers or employees. Currently, we do not anticipate any impact to our business or customers. We have implemented measures to prevent further incidents and will continue to serve our customers without disruption. Some of the information also related to chips created by Qualcomm, who said, quote, We take these claims very seriously and are working expeditiously with Samsung to understand the scope of the incident, as well as to confirm what Qualcomm data, if any, has been impacted. We have no reason to believe that Qualcomm systems or security were impacted as a result of this reported incident. It's unknown if this was a case of ransomware, but the hackers did call for the chip maker to release its graphic chip drivers as open source, as well as to disable the light hash rate feature, or LHR. LHR is a controversial method of slowing down the performance of hashing rates to discourage crypto mining, which can also have an adverse effect on generating secure hashes for encryption purposes. Proponents of LHR say that the hit to encryption efficiency is negligible, while the benefit to consumers is lower prices, since the chips are no longer being bought up by large crypto mining operations. This comes on the heels of another release of files from Lapsus, this time belonging to GPU giant NVIDIA, which disturbingly includes signing keys used to secure installation files for Microsoft Windows. Windows will alert the user if an installation file isn't signed or if the signature is invalid, but hackers could use the keys to sign their own malware and bypass Windows protections. In fact, so far VirusTotal has noted two binaries not developed by NVIDIA with signatures that verified. Thankfully, the signatures have expired, but Windows still allows them to be used for driver signing purposes, which is really something they should change. And amazingly, in one of those what-were-they-thinking moments, Windows will accept any driver signed with certificates prior to July 29, 2015. So what's the point of expiration, then? 
but these signing keys expired in 2014, which means that Windows will accept them. A Microsoft spokesperson unhelpfully said, quote, We are looking into these new claims, and we will do what is necessary to keep our customers protected. Sorry, looks like we're on our own on this one. Be vigilant, everyone. Also leaked were source code, documentation, and even login credentials, so NVIDIA users might want to change your password. These were NTLN password hashes, which are notoriously easy to crack. Again, their leak seems to be related to a demand for NVIDIA to remove LHR from its chipset, which, like Qualcomm, NVIDIA ostensibly implemented to prevent crypto miners from snatching up hardware demanded by gamers and graphic artists. Personally, I'd be happy with the demand that they allow 64-bit operations in their consumer GPUs. AMD already does, but this is standing in the way of Blender, Unity, and other technologies from going full 64-bit. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Hi-ho, the stampede of virtue signalers rushing to cut the Russian people off from every conceivable service because of the actions of their government. It's really bad when Cogent, one of the internet backbone providers, decided to cut off all Russian IP addresses. So it's refreshing to see the odd company standing up for reason. Cloudflare is one of the internet's biggest content delivery networks, providing connectivity and DDoS mitigation for over 25 million websites. Cloudflare has come under fire for refusing to sever connections to controversial content. After briefly caving to pressure to stop connections to the website The Daily Stormer, CEO Matthew Prince vowed never to succumb to such political pressure ever again. He said at the time in a company email, quote, This was an arbitrary decision. It was different than what I'd talked with our senior team about yesterday. I woke up this morning in a bad mood and decided to kick them off the internet. Literally, I woke up in a bad mood and decided someone shouldn't be allowed on the internet. No one should have that power. And in a blog post, he wrote, You, like me, may believe that the Daily Stormer's site is vile. You may believe it should be restricted. You may think the authors of the site should be prosecuted. Reasonable people can and do believe all those things. But having the mechanism of content control be vigilante hackers launching DDoS attacks subverts any rational concept of justice. Since then, they've resisted all calls to censor websites and the users they protect, and they're sticking to that with Russia. As we pointed out last week, 
All this will do is give Putin what he wants, a private internet for Russians completely under his control. Although for security reasons they moved a lot of encryption key material outside of Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, meaning the servers will brick themselves if they lose power or connectivity, they vowed to keep worldwide access to all their secured services open. Quote, Since the invasion, providing any services in Russia is understandably fraught. Governments have been united in imposing a stream of new sanctions, and there have been some calls to disconnect Russia from the global Internet. As discussed by ICANN, the Internet Society, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and TechDirt, among others, the consequences of such a shutdown would be profound. We have received several calls to terminate all of Cloudflare's services inside Russia. We have carefully considered those requests and discussed them with government and civil society experts. Our conclusion, in consultation with those experts, is that Russia needs more Internet access, not less. The Russian government itself, over the last several years, has threatened repeatedly to block certain Cloudflare services and customers. Indiscriminately terminating service would do little to harm the Russian government, but would both limit access to information outside the country and make significantly more vulnerable those who have used us to shield themselves as they have criticized the government. In fact, we believe the Russian government would celebrate us shutting down Cloudflare services in Russia. We absolutely appreciate the spirit of many Ukrainians making requests across the tech sector for companies to terminate services in Russia. When what Cloudflare is fundamentally providing is a more open, private, and secure Internet, we believe that shutting down Cloudflare services entirely in Russia would be a mistake. Right on. Here's hoping we see more organizations of principle and courage. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. We have another set of data showing that mere metadata can make a completely innocent person look guilty. Tech reporter Kashmir Hill is married to Trevor Tim, director of the Freedom of the Press Foundation. With Tim's permission, Hill hit a bunch of location tracking tools on him and showed what a mixed bag it was. Some of the tools worked really well, some not so much, but it was generally easy to hide them on someone, even someone who knew you were going to do it. Tim's predictions of the results, quote, It'll be boring. He was wrong. Hill had put trackers in their car, and within two hours, Tim got an alert on his iPhone that an air tag had been planted. The problem was he couldn't find it. The alert let him play a sound, but he couldn't connect to the device. At one point, he asked his wife, 
Is it in my shoe? You have to tell me. I don't want to destroy my shoe looking for it. Eventually, the phone connected, and he played the noise, but he couldn't tell where it was after five minutes of trying to follow the sound. In fact, out of the seven trackers she planted on him, he only found two. Hill wrote up her findings in the New York Times, and now Tim has published his own perspective. It's a good thing there's a great deal of trust in their marriage. Imagine what a suspicious woman might do when the tracker located him at the private club Dumbo House when in reality he was in the food court downstairs eating a taco. That's the thing. No matter how accurate the trackers are at pinpointing your movements, they can't tell what you were doing. So a breakfast at a cafe can make it look less innocuous when the photographer Hill had tailing him took a picture of him exiting a door next to a sign that said, cocktails. His movements were posted online, and speculation about what he was doing went wild, including his sister-in-law joking that he must be a drug dealer. He wrote, I have a trusting wife, and I was happy to play a small role in highlighting the privacy implications of emerging technology. But when I heard and saw all of these misinterpretations about my day, I couldn't help but think of all the people who might be surveilled without their consent, whether it's by a spouse an employer, or law enforcement. It's that sort of thing, Tim points out, that can be deadly in the hands of government. He mentions an incident in Kabul where a drone was used to kill a driver along with his family and several children who most certainly had a bomb and was posing a threat to the troops based on his movements. He turned out to be an aid worker. The problem isn't really what most people seem to be concerned about, which is targeted advertising. It can be creepy, but ultimately harmless. The problem is when this data falls into nefarious hands, especially those of the government. Tim wrote, I have no doubt that there are plenty of legitimate uses for trackers. Who wouldn't want to never lose keys again? But this reporting also suggested the many ways surveillance can be misinterpreted and potentially abused. Without context... Anything can be interpreted as charitably or as suspiciously as the observer wants. But really, those conclusions say more about the person doing the tracking than the person being tracked. Unfortunately, they can be very convincing to third parties, especially juries. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to cynicize this week's biggest bogan emitter. So we've covered YouTube DL, the open source software allowing people to download YouTube videos. 
We've also covered how music companies absolutely blow their tops over the thought of people using it to download music without paying for it or watching an ad. As if there's no other way to get it. As we covered before, after pretty much every triggered little snowflake in the RIAA sent a DMCA takedown notice to GitHub, the site reinstated the YouTube DL repository after waiting the required 10 business days. Because there's absolutely nothing illegal or infringing about it. In a blog post, GitHub's Abby Vollmer wrote, Although we did initially take the project down, we understand that just because code can be used to access copyrighted works, doesn't mean it can't also be used to access works in non-infringing ways. We also understood that this project's code has many legitimate purposes, including changing playback speeds for accessibility, preserving evidence in the fight for human rights, aiding journalists in fact-checking, and downloading Creative Commons licensed or public domain videos. After we received new information that showed the YouTube DL project does not in fact violate the DMCA's anti-circumvention prohibitions, we concluded that the allegations did not establish a violation of the law. So now, the record labels are setting their sights on Uberspace, the German hosting provider that hosts YouTubeDL.org. Initial cease and desist letters had no effect, so now Sony Entertainment, Warner Music Group, and Universal Music are taking the matter to the Hamburg District Court. Uberspace, assisted by the German Society for Civil Rights, ask the court to dismiss the lawsuit on a number of grounds. They point out that the software is an essential tool for journalism and freedom of information, backed up by statements from several organizations, including Amnesty International and the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Quote, The YouTube DL software can be used for countless purposes. Journalists, scientists, law enforcement agencies, and human rights organizations regularly use YouTube DL, for example, for the purpose of documentation and preservation of evidence. For example, Amnesty International explicitly recommends the use of YouTube DL to document human rights violations on the Internet as platforms such as YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter remove these videos. Also, YouTube and its users have a valid interest in the ability to download videos, such as creating reaction videos. They also point out that many YouTubers publish under a Creative Commons license, which specifically allows others to redistribute the video. This would be impossible without a way of downloading it first. And, of course, there's the point we covered a while back, that the browser actually downloads a copy of the video, and has to in order for the website to work. Quote, YouTube makes all information for the retrieval of videos in the public area of YouTube available to every retrieving device openly and unencrypted. YouTube does not use any encryption technology that is intended to prevent YouTube content from being downloaded without authorization. Moreover, it would be at best premature to insist that the hosting provider take action at this point since they merely host the website and don't even have a copy of the software. Uberspace also accused the music companies of forum shopping, which is why they picked the court in Hamburg. They're the ones who upheld the 2017 case, determining that YouTube DL aided in copyright infringement. The fear, supported by the EFF, is that this is a prelude to going after GitHub. Quote, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Universal Music seem to be hoping German law will give them leverage that they can't get in the United States. They are suing a small hosting provider called Uberspace on essentially the same theories that failed to impress GitHub and EFF two years ago. And this is the really dangerous part about making copyright an exception to things like Section 230. 
infringement can be used as a pretext to take down tools that are essential to journalism and public accountability. So all of that makes the music labels this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's pre-specify this week's... Idiot Back in the Obama years, we covered several cases where the most transparent administration in history responded to FOIA requests with basically pages of black rectangles. Every single word was redacted. That's what happened with a FOIA request for 111 pages about the FBI's GPS tracking of U.S. citizens in 2013. They did it to requests about the tool used to hack the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. They even did it with publicly available DOJ press releases. The thing is, no matter how much information is redacted, they get to include all of the information as having been released. So when they claim a 91% FOIA release date, as they did back in 2016, it does not take redactions into account. The real number is significantly lower. Now, the Biden administration is up to the same old crap. This time it has to do with a case of immense public interest, the federal government's involvement with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and their research into coronavirus gain-of-function. For over a year, The Intercept has been trying to get more information about the NIH's work with the Wuhan Institute. The NIH has stonewalled at every turn. When The Intercept sued, the NIH agreed to turn over thousands of pages of material. With the exception of a few emails at the start of the document, it amounts to close to 300 pages of nothing. Despite the fact that the NIH is supposed to be a public domain organization, like NASA, they're not supposed to be able to hide behind official secrets, which wouldn't apply anyway since this information is absolutely in the public interest. If you want to clear yourself of unfounded conspiracy theories, this is not how you go about it. On the other hand, if you've been lying to the people for two years, it makes sense that you try and withhold as much as possible. But I guess, if you have nothing to hide, you have no reason to worry, only applies to you people. So all of that makes the NIH this week's... Idiot, Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this... 
When the going gets tough, the tough hide under the table edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Learned Hand. The mutual confidence on which all else depends can be maintained only by an open mind and a brave reliance upon free discussion. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.